Part two, chapter seven of By What Authority by Robert Hugh Benson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A message from the city. Sir Francis Walsingham sat in his private room a month after Father Campion's death. He had settled down again now to his work, which had been so grievously interrupted by his mission to France in connection with a new treaty between that country and England in the previous year. The secret detective service that he had inaugurated in England, chiefly for the protection of the Queen's person, was a vast and complicated business, and the superintendence of this, in addition to the other affairs of his office, made him an exceedingly busy man. England was honeycombed with mines and countermines, both in the political and the religious world, and it needed all this man's brilliant and trained faculties to keep abreast with them. His spies and agents were everywhere, and not only in England. They circled round Mary of Scotland like flies round a wounded creature, seeking to settle and penetrate wherever an opening showed itself. These Scottish troubles would have been enough for any ordinary man, but Walsingham was indefatigable, and his agents were in every prison, lurking round corridors in private houses, found alike in thieves' kitchens and at gentlemen's tables. Just at present, Walsingham was anxious to give all the attention he could to Scottish affairs and on this wet dreary thursday morning in january as he sat before his bureau he was meditating how to deal with an affair that had come to him from the heart of london and how if possible to shift the conduct of it on to other shoulders he sat and drummed his fingers on the desk and stared meditatively at the pigeonholes before him his was an interesting face with large melancholy and almost fanatical eyes and a poet's mouth and forehead but it was probably exactly his imaginative faculties that enabled him to picture public affairs from the points of view of the very various persons concerned in them and thereby to cope with the complications arising out of these conflicting interests he stroked his pointed beard once or twice and then struck a handbell at his side and a servant entered if mr lackington is below he said show him here immediately and the servant went out lackington sometime servant to sir nicholas maxwell had entered sir francis service instead at the same time that he had exchanged the catholic for the protestant religion and he was now one of his most trusted agents but he had been in so many matters connected with recusancy that a large number of the papists in london were beginning to know him by sight and the affairs were becoming more and more scarce in which he could be employed among catholics with any hope of success it was his custom to call morning by morning at sir francis office and receive his instructions and just now he had returned from business in the country presently he entered closing the door behind him and bowed profoundly to his master i have a matter on hand lackington said sir francis without looking at him and without any salutation beyond a glance and a nod as he entered a matter which i have not leisure to look into as it is not i think anything more than mere religion 
but which might, I think, repay you for your trouble, if you can manage it in any way. But it is a troublesome business. These are the facts. Number three, Newman's Court, in the city, has been a suspected house for some while. I have had it watched, and there is no doubt that the Papists use it. I thought at first that the Scots were mixed up with it, but that is not so. Yesterday, a boy of twelve years old left the house in the afternoon and was followed to a number of houses, of which I will give you the list presently, and was finally arrested in Paul's churchyard and brought here. I frightened him with talk of the rack, and I think I have the truth out of him now. I have tested him in the usual ways, and all that I can find is that the house is used for mass now and then and that he was going to the papists' houses yesterday to bid them come for next Sunday morning. But he was stopped too soon. He had not yet told the priest to come. Now, unless the priest is told to-night by one whom he trusts, there will be no mass on Sunday, and the nests of papists will escape us. It is of no use to send the boy, as he will betray all by his behavior even if we frighten him into saying what we wish to the priest. I suppose it is of no use your going to the priest and feigning to be a Catholic messenger, and I cannot at this moment see what is to be done. If there were anything beyond mere religion in this, I would spare no pains to hunt them out. But it is not worth my while. Yet there is the reward, and if you think that you can do anything, you can have it for your pains. I can spare you till Monday, and of course you shall have what men you will to surround the house and take them at mass, if you can but get the priest there. Thank you, sir, said Lackington deferentially. Have I your honour's leave to see the boy in your presence? Walsingham struck the bell again. "'Bring the lad that is locked in the steward's parlour,' he said, when the servant appeared. "'Sit down, Lackington, and examine him when he comes.' And Sir Francis took down some papers from a pigeonhole, sorted out one or two, and saying, "'Here are his statements,' handed them to the agent, who began to glance through them at once. Walsingham then turned to his table again and began to go on with his letters. In a moment or two the door opened, and a little lad of twelve years old came in, followed by the servant. "'That will do,' said Walsingham, without looking up. "'You can leave him here.' And the servant went out. The boy stood back against the wall by the door. His face was white and his eyes full of horror, and he looked in a dazed way at the two men. "'What is your name, boy?' began Lackington, in a sharp, judicial tone. "'John Belton?' said the lad in a tremulous voice. "'And are you a little papist?' asked the agent. "'No, sir, a Protestant.' "'Then how is it that you go on errands for papists?' "'I'm a servant, sir,' said the boy imploringly. Lackington turned the papers over for a moment or two. "'Now, you know,' he began again in a threatening voice, that this gentleman has power to put you on the rack. You know what that is? The boy nodded in mute, white-faced terror. Well, now, he will hear all you say, and will know whether you say the truth or not. Now, tell me if you still owe to what you said yesterday. And then Lackington, with the aid of the papers, ran quickly over the story that Sir Francis had related. 
now do you mean to tell me john belton he added that you a protestant and a lad of twelve are employed in this work by papists to gather them for mass the boy looked at him with the same earnest horror yes sir yes sir he said and there was a piteous sob in his voice indeed it is all true but i do not often go on these messages for my master mr roger generally goes but he is sick oh ho said lackington you did not say that yesterday the boy was terrified no sir he cried out miserably the gentleman did not ask me well who is mr roger what is he like he is my master's servant sir and he wears a patch over his eye and stutters a little in his speech these kinds of details were plainly beyond a frightened lad's power of invention and lackington was more satisfied ah what was the message that you were to give to the folk and the priest please sir come for all things are now ready this was such a queer answer that lackington gave an incredulous exclamation it is probably true said sir francis without looking up from his letters i have come across the same kind of cipher at least once before thank you sir said the agent and now my boy tell me this how did you know what it meant please sir said the lad a little encouraged by the kinder tone i have noticed that twice before when mr roger could not go and i was sent with the same message all the folks and the priest came on the next sunday and i think that it means that all is safe and that they can come you are a sharp lad said the spy approvingly i am satisfied with you then sir may i go home asked the boy with a hopeful entreaty in his voice nay nay said the other i have not done with you yet answer me some more questions why did you not go to the priest first because i was bidden to go to him last said the boy if i had been to all the other houses by five o'clock last night then i was to meet the priest at papist corner in paul's church but if i had not done them as i had not then i was to see the priest to-night at the same place lackington mused a moment what is the priest's name he asked please sir mr arthur oldham the agent gave a sudden start and a keen glance at the boy and then smiled to himself then he meditated and bit his nails once or twice and when was mr roger taken ill he slipped down at the door of his lodging and hurt his foot at dinner-time yesterday and he could not walk his lodging then he does not sleep in the house no sir he sleeps in stafford alley round the corner and where do you live please sir i go home to my mother nearly every night but not always and where does your mother live please sir at four bells lane lackington remained deep in thought and looked at the boy steadily for a minute or two now sir may i go he asked eagerly lackington paid no attention and he repeated his question the agent still did not seem to hear him but turned to sir francis who was still at his letters 
that is all sir for the present he said may the boy be kept here till monday the lad broke out into wailing but lackington turned on him a face so savage that his whimpers died away into horror-stricken silence as you will said sir francis pausing for a moment in his writing and striking the bell again and on the servant's appearance gave orders that john belton should be taken again to the steward's parlour until further directions were received the boy went sobbing out and down the passage again under the servant's charge and the door closed and the mother asked walsingham abruptly pausing with pen upraised with your permission sir i will tell her that her boy is in trouble and that if his master sends to inquire for him she is to say he is sick upstairs and you will report to me on monday yes sir by then i shall hope to have taken the crew sir francis nodded his head sharply and the pen began to fly over the paper again as lackington slipped out anthony norris was passing through the court of lambeth house in the afternoon of the same day when the porter came to him and said there was a child waiting in the lodge with a note for him and would master norris kindly come to see her he found a little girl on the bench by the gate who stood up and curtsied as the grand gentleman came striding in and handed him a note which he opened at once and read for the love of god the note ran come and aid one who can be of service to a friend follow the little maid master norris and she will bring you to me if you have any friends at great keens for the love you bear to them come quickly anthony turned the note over it was unsigned and undated on his inquiry further from the little girl she said she knew nothing about the writer but that a gentleman had given her the note and told her to bring it to master anthony norris at lambeth house and that she was to take him to a house that she knew in the city she did not know the name of the house she said it was all very strange thought anthony but evidently here was someone who knew about him the reference to great keens made him think uneasily of isabel and wonder whether any harm had happened to her or whether any danger threatened he stood musing with the note between his fingers and then told the child to go straight down to paul's cross and await him there and he would follow immediately the child ran off and anthony went round to the stables to get his horse he rode straight down to the city and put up his horse in the bishop's stables and then went round with his riding-whip in his hand to paul's cross it was a dull miserable afternoon beginning to close in with a fine rain falling and very few people were about and he found the child crouched up against the pulpit in an attempt to keep dry come he said kindly i'm ready show me the way the child led him along by the cathedral through the churchyard and then by winding passages where anthony kept a good lookout at the corners for a stab in the back was no uncommon thing for a well-dressed gentleman off his guard the houses overhead leaned so nearly together that the darkening sky disappeared altogether now and then at one spot anthony caught a glimpse high up of bow church spire and after a corner or two the child stopped before a doorway in a little flagged court it is here she said and before anthony could stop her she had slipped away and disappeared through a passage he looked at the house it was a tumble-down place the door was heavily studded with nails and gave a most respectable air to the house the leaded windows were just over his head and tightly closed 
there was an air of mute discretion and silence about the place that roused a vague discomfort in anthony's mind he slipped his right hand into his belt and satisfied himself that the hilt of his knife was within his reach overhead the hanging windows and eaves bulged out on all sides but there was no one to be seen it seemed a place that had slipped into a backwater of the humming stream of the city the fine rain still falling added to the dismal aspect of the little court he looked round once more and then rapped sharply at the door to which the child had pointed there was silence for at least a minute then as he was about to knock again there was a faint sound overhead and he looked up in time to see a face swiftly withdrawn from one of the windows evidently an occupant of the house had been examining the visitor then shuffling footsteps came along a passage within and a light shone under the door there was a noise of bolts being withdrawn and the rattle of a chain and then the handle turned and the door opened slowly inwards and an old woman stood there holding an oil lamp over her head this was not very formidable at any rate i have been bidden to come here he said by a letter delivered to me an hour ago ah said the old woman and looked at him peeringly then you are for mr roger i dare say said anthony a little sharply he was not accustomed to be treated like this the old woman still looked at him suspiciously and then as anthony made a movement of impatience she stepped back come in sir she said he stepped in and she closed and fastened the door again behind him and then holding the oil lamp high over her head she advanced in her slippers towards the staircase and anthony followed on the stairs she turned once to see if he was coming and beckoned him on with a movement of her head anthony looked about him as he went up there was nothing remarkable or suspicious about the house in any way it was cleaner than he had been led to expect by its outward aspect wainscoted to the ceiling with oak and the stairs were strong and well made it was plainly a very tolerably respectable place and anthony began to think from its appearance that he had been admitted at the back door of some well-to-do house off cheapside the banisters were carved with some distinction and there were the rudimentary elements of linen pattern design on the panels that lined the opposite walls up to the height of the banisters the woman went up and up slowly panting a little at each landing she turned and glanced back to see that her companion was following all the doors that they passed were discreetly shut and the house was perfectly dark except for the flickering light of the woman's lamp and silent except for the noise of the footsteps and the rush of a mouse now and then behind the woodwork at the third landing she stopped and came close up to anthony that is the door she whispered hoarsely and pointed with her thumb towards a doorway that was opposite the staircase ask for mr roger and then without saying any more she set the lamp down on the flat head of the top banister and herself began to shuffle downstairs again into the dark house anthony stood still a moment his heart beating a little what was this strange errand and isabel what had she to do with this house buried away in the courts of the great city as he waited he heard a door close somewhere behind him and the shuffling footsteps had ceased 
He touched the hilt of his knife once again to give himself courage, and then walked slowly across and rapped on the door. Instantly a voice full of trembling expectancy cried to him to come in. He turned the handle and stepped into the firelit room. It was extremely poorly furnished. A rickety table stood in the centre with a book or two and a basin with a plate. A saucepan hissed and bubbled on the fire. In the corner near the window stood a poor bed, and to this Anthony's attention was immediately directed by a voice that called out hoarsely, "'Thank God, sir! Thank God, sir, you have come! I feared you would not!' Anthony stepped towards it, wondering and expectant, but reassured. Lying in the bed with clothes drawn up to the chin was the figure of a man. There was no light in the room save that given by the leaping flames on the hearth and anthony could only make out the face of a man with a patch over one eye the man stretched a hand over the bedclothes as he came near and anthony took it a little astonished and received a strong trembling grip of apparent excitement and relief thank god sir the man said again but there is not too much time how can i serve you said anthony sitting on a chair near the bedside your letter spoke of friends at great keynes what did you mean by that is the door closed sir asked the man anxiously stuttering a little as he spoke anthony stepped up and closed it firmly and then came back and sat down again well then sir i believe you are a friend of the priest mr maxwell's anthony shook his head there's no priest of that name that i know ah cried the man and his voice shook have i said too much you are mr anthony norris of the dower house and of the archbishop's household i am said anthony but yet well well said the man i must go forward now he whom you know as mr james maxwell is a catholic priest known to many under the name of mr arthur oldham he is in sore danger anthony was silent through sheer astonishment this then was the secret of the mystery that had hung round mr james so long the few times he had met him in town since his return it had been on the tip of his tongue to ask what he did there and why hubert was to be master of the hall but there was something in mr james's manner that made the asking of such a question appear an impossible liberty and it had remained unasked well said the man in bed in anxious terror there is no mistake is there i said nothing said anthony for astonishment i had no idea that he was a priest and how can i serve him he is in sore danger said the man and again and again there came the stutter now i am a catholic you see how much i trust you sir i am the only one in this house i was entrusted with a message to mr maxwell to put him on his guard against the danger that threatens him i was to meet him this very evening at five o'clock 
and this afternoon as i left my room i slipped and so hurt my foot that i cannot put it to the ground i dared not send a letter to mr maxwell for fear the child should be followed i dared not send to another catholic nor indeed did i know where to find one whom mr maxwell would know and trust as he is new to us here but i had heard him speak of his friend mr anthony norris who was at lambeth house and i determined sir to send a child to you and ask you to do this service for your friend for an officer of the archbishop's household is beyond suspicion N now sir will you do this service if you do it not i know not where to turn for help anthony was silent he felt a little uneasy supposing that there was sedition mixed up in this how could he trust the man's story how could he be certain in fact that he was a catholic at all he looked at him keenly in the firelight the man's one eye shone in deep anxiety and his forehead was wrinkled and he passed his hand nervously over his mouth again and again how can i tell said anthony that all this is true the man with an impatient movement unfastened his shirt at the neck and drew up on a string that was round his neck a little leather case there sir he stammered drawing the string over his head take that to the fire and see what it is anthony took it curiously and holding it close to the fire drew off the little case there was the wax metal stamped with the lamb called Dei. there cried the man from the bed now i have put put myself in your hands and if more is wanted and as anthony came back holding the medal the man fumbled beneath the pillow and drew out a rosary now sir do you believe me it was felony to possess these things and anthony had no more doubts yes he said and i ask your pardon and he gave back the on you stay but there is no sedition in this none sir i give you my word said the man apparently greatly relieved and sinking back on his pillow i will tell you all and you can judge for yourself but you will promise to be secret and when anthony had given his word he went on M mass was to have been said in newman's court on sunday at number three but that cursed spy walsingham hath had wind of it his men have been lurking round there and it is not safe however there is no need to say that to mr maxwell he will understand enough if you will give him a message of half a dozen words from me mr roger you can tell him that you saw me if you wish to but ah oh, sir you give me your word to say no more to any one not even to mr maxwell himself for it is in a public place and then i will tell you the place and the message but we must be swift because the time is near it is at five o'clock that he will look for a messenger 
I give you my word, said Anthony. Well, sir, the place is Papist Corner in the cathedral, and the words are these. Come, for all things are now ready. You know, sir, that we Catholics go in fear of our lives, and like the poor hares have to double and turn if we would escape. If any overhears that message, he will never know it to be a warning. And it was for that that I asked your word to say no more than your message, with just the word that you had seen me yourself. You may tell him, of course, sir, that Mr. Roger has a patch over his eye and stuttered a little in his speech, and he will know it is from me then. Now, sir, will you tell me what the message is and the place, to be sure that you know them? And then, sir, it will be time to go, and God bless you, sir, God bless you for your kindness to us poor papists. The man seized Anthony's gloved hand and kissed it fervently once or twice. Anthony repeated his instructions carefully. He was more touched than he cared to show by the evident gratitude and relief of this poor terrified Catholic. Th that is right, sir, that is right. And now, sir, if you please be gone at once, or the father will have left the cathedral. The child will be in the court below to show you the way out to the churchyard. God bless you, sir, and reward you for your kindness. And as Anthony went out of the room, he heard benedictions mingled with sobs following him. The woman was nowhere to be seen, so he took the oil lamp from the landing and found his way downstairs again, unfastened the front door, and went out, leaving the lamp on the floor. The child was leaning against the wall opposite. He could just see the glimmer of her face in the heavy dusk. "'Come, my child,' he said, "'show me the way to the churchyard.' She came forward, and he began to follow her out of the little flagged court. He turned around as he left the court and saw high up against the blackness overhead a square of window lighted with a glow from within, and simultaneously there came the sound of bolts being shut in the door that he had just left. Evidently the old woman had been on the watch and was now barring the door behind him. It wanted courage to do as Anthony was doing, but he was not lacking in that. It was not a small matter to go to Papist Corner and give a warning to a Catholic priest. But firstly, James Maxwell was his friend, and in danger. Secondly, Anthony had no sympathy with religious persecution. And thirdly, as has been seen, the last year had made a really deep impression upon him. He was more favorably inclined to the Catholic cause than he had ever imagined to be possible. As he followed the child through the labyrinth of passages, passing every now and then the lighted front of a house or a little group of idlers, for the rain had now ceased, who stared to see this gentleman in such company, his head was whirling with questions and conjectures. Was it not, after all, a dishonorable act to the archbishop in whose service he was, thus to take the side of the papists? but that it was too late to consider now how strange that james maxwell was a priest that of course accounted at once for his long absence no doubt in the seminary abroad and his ultimate return and for hubert's inheriting the estates 
and then he passed on to reflect as he had done a hundred times before on this wonderful religion that allured men from home and wealth and friends and sent them rejoicing to penury suspicion hatred peril and death itself for the kingdom of heaven's sake suddenly he found himself in the open space opposite the cathedral the child had again disappeared it was less dark here the leaden sky overhead still glimmered with a pale sunset light and many house windows shone out from within he passed round the south side of the cathedral and entered the western door the building was full of deep gloom only pricked here and there by an oil lamp or two that would presently be extinguished when the cathedral was closed the air was full of a faint sound made up from echoes of the outside world and the footsteps of a few people who still lingered in groups here and there in the aisles and talked among themselves the columns rose up in slender bundles and faded into the pale gloom overhead as he crossed the nave on the way to papist corner far away to the east rose the dark carving of the stalls against the glimmering stone beyond it was like some vast hall of the dead the noise of the footsteps seemed like an insolent intrusion on this temple of silence and the religious stillness had an active and sombre character of its own more eloquent and impressive than all the tumult that man could make as anthony came to papist corner he saw a very tall solitary figure passing slowly from east to west it was too dark to distinguish faces so he went towards it so that at the next turn they would meet face to face when he was within two or three steps the man before him turned abruptly and anthony immediately put out his hand smiling mr arthur oldham he said the man started and peered curiously through the gloom at him why anthony he exclaimed and took his hand what is your business here and they began slowly to walk westwards together i am come to meet mr oldham he said and to give him a message and this is it come for all things are now ready my dear boy said james stopping short you must forgive me but what in the world do you mean by that i come from mr roger said anthony you need not be afraid he has had an accident and sent for me mr roger said james interrogatively yes said anthony he hath a patch over one eye and stutters somewhat james gave a sigh of relief my dear boy he said i cannot thank you enough you know what it means then why yes said anthony and you a protestant and in the archbishop's household why yes said anthony and a christian and your friend god bless you anthony said the priest and took his hand and pressed it they were passing out now under the west door and stood together for a moment looking at the lights down ludgate hill the houses about amen court stood up against the sky to their right i must not stay said anthony i must fetch my horse and be back at lambeth for evening prayers at six he's stabled at the palace here well well said the priest i thank god that there are true hearts like yours god bless you again my dear boy and 
and make you one of us some day anthony smiled at him a little tremulously for the gratitude and the blessing of this man was dear to him and after another hand-grasp he turned away to the right leaving the priest still half under the shadow of the door looking after him he had done his errand promptly and discreetly End of chapter seven